It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, July 22nd, 2015. Faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall theological inconsistencies in a single bound. You're listening to God and Comics. On today's show, Superman, the character who started it all. There's arguably no comic book character more ingrained in the popular imagination. We'll talk about what makes a great Superman story, and we'll consider just how accurate the popular notion is of Superman as a Christ figure. Plus, as always, our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. So buckle up, friends, because by the end of today's podcast, you will believe that a priest can fly. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I am Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm in Christ Church, Cooperstown, which is in New York. And uh, Father Kyle is unable to be with us today, so filling in for him is actually our our children and, and youth minister here at Holy Comforter, Brandon Munson. Brandon, say hello. Hello, God and Comic viewers. Yeah, they can't see you. Um, podcasting is actually an audio, <laughs> an audio medium. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we're, we're glad that you're here. Thank you. Now, um, Brandon, why don't you tell us uh, just a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you're doing these days? Well, I am uh, originally from South Jersey. Uh, moved into the greater Philadelphia area uh, during my undergrad. I was a student at Eastern University. I am currently a seminarian at the Reformed Episcopal uh, Seminary in Bluebell. And I um, have one more year of that. And uh, as far as my comic book interests, um, I tend to lean towards Team Marvel. Uh, but hopefully that will not be a bias in today's show. Uh, I will try to, uh, you know keep that bias uh, from showing. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a much more uh, casual fan of comics than you and, and Father Matt, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep my, my head above water with you guys. Well, we, we appreciate you uh, jumping, jumping in at the last minute. You never know when Father Kyle is going to have to uh, hunt wolves in the, in the desert, uh, which is something mm-hmm. that he does from time to time. And uh, so we're, we're glad that you're able to be with us. And, and, of course, because people are listening and not viewing, they cannot see your epic dreadlocks. No, no, they cannot. Which is unfortunate. Maybe we should take a picture. <laughs> Maybe, we Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Okay, well, we're going to move into our recommendation this week. Now, uh, gentlemen... I don't know how up you guys are on current events, on things happening in the world, um, really important cultural moments, but something incredibly significant happened within the last couple of weeks here, and I'm sure you guys are are with me on this uh, and know exactly what I'm talking about. Finally, the wait is over. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is now instant on Netflix. Uh, I think we all breathe a sigh of relief to know that that, that's finally true. Uh, And, of course, the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has been instant for a while. So now you can watch both of these classic films back-to-back even, if you like, uh, which is is a really great thing. If you're not familiar with 
uh, this incredible cultural juggernaut of, of the Bill and Ted films. Uh, the first one was in 1989. The second one, Bogus Journey, came out in 1991. They star Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves, a young Keanu Reeves, as Bill and Ted. In the beginning, they're basically just high school students. They're, they're uh, kind of burnouts, uh, the kind of guys who say dude a lot and don't really have a lot going on between the years. Nevertheless, they discover in that first film that, in fact, they're going to start a band that is going to create a, a music that is going to change the world. Uh, the world is going to be a much better place. Well, I am very pleased to let everybody know who has been wondering for all these years what happened immediately after Bogus Journey ended, that there is now a comic book that can answer that question for you. Uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted's Most Triumphant Return is a six-part miniseries that is being produced by Boom Studios. And uh, the comic is written by Brian Lynch, who in addition to his comic book work, is, is a writer on a number of films, including Minions, which uh, I, I believe is uh, having some popular buzz this summer. Mm -hmm. The art is by Jerry Gaylord, uh, colors by Whitney Kogar. It picks up right where Bogus Journey leaves off. Uh, Bogus Journey had Bill and Ted writing their very first song that took the world by storm, but then, after, after the movie was over, apparently Bill and Ted had a lot of trouble writing their second song. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. But they still had the magic time-traveling phone booth, and so they decide to go to the future to see how it all turned out. Uh, and, and maybe they can then go and listen to their second song, and that'll help them to write it. Makes sense. So they go there, and while they're in the future, they meet a young Chuck Denomalous. Chuck Denomalous was the bad guy in the Bogus Journey film. He hates the peaceful society based off of Bill and Ted's music, and so in Bogus Journey, he had gone back in time to try to kill them. Well, now here Bill and Ted are in the future with a young, maybe high school age, Chuck Denomalous, who is having a really, really tough life because everybody in his society knows that he's going to grow up to try to go back in time and kill these guys. It's a matter of historical record. And so Bill and Ted feel bad for him, and so they try to befriend him and help to make him cool and likable. But in the process, there are disastrous consequences for the past. It changes the whole nature of the past and the future in ways that Bill and Ted had not anticipated. And so throughout the miniseries, Bill and Ted have to travel around back and forth into the future, into the past, to try to set things right. A lot of historical figures show up, just like in the movies. It's a funny book. It's a lot of fun. There are, in addition to the main story that's being told in all six issues, there's also uh, side stories. Each issue has a second story at the end, usually written by somebody else, uh, that's just a, just a self-contained story. And some of those are really funny and wacky. Uh, in one of them, the Bill and Ted robots, if you remember in Bogus Journey, there are evil Bill and Ted robots who are turned good by the end. 
Well, in one of these side stories, the Bill and Ted robots open up an email and get a computer virus, and Bill and Ted are forced to go to the year 2015 to find a computer store where they can repair the robots, uh, which they do. And so that, that, that leads to some fun stuff. Another one of the side stories involves Bill and Ted telling the real story as to how Dante wrote his Divine Comedy. Spoiler alert, he cheats death in a number of uh, card games and other kinds of matches to have this, this opportunity. It's a, it's a fun book. If you're not a big fan of the Bill and Ted franchise, you're, this is probably not the book for you. But if you, if you thought those movies were hilarious, you'll probably think the comic book is hilarious too. Five of the issues are already out. I'm sure there will be a, a trade out probably by the end of the year. Uh, and if you haven't seen the Bill and Ted movies yet, I think I just planned your weekend for you. So you're welcome. Well, I have not seen the Bill and Ted movies since I was an adolescent. And I, I feel like um, maybe that was the appropriate age to sort of let rest. <laughs> I do not care for Keanu Reeves, but I, I think he's probably most suited for the, the Bill and Ted movies. I, I, I think that's where he really shines. I agree. It was. I think it was the pinnacle of his career, really. I, I had to brush up on the on the movies myself. Um, the first one probably came out before I was born, which is probably true. And then the second one, I, I probably was too uh, young and not uh, cognitive enough to really uh, understand what's going on. I, I believe I've seen them, but I, I don't. I don't. They're not clear in my head. I, I definitely have to take take a look. For those who uh, who don't know, uh, Brandon is about twelve years old. He is he's very young. Um, no, there we are. Well, when my wife was uh, a teenager, she had a poster of Keanu Reeves in her bedroom. Do you still have that poster in your bedroom today? Um, yes, in fact, it, you know, she insisted upon hanging. No, no, of course not. I don't know what happened to it. It's probably stashed with, you know, her uh, her new kids on the block memorabilia. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Well, that brings us to our, our main conversation today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Superman today. Superman is really the character who started it all. Which is not to say that Superman was the first hero or even the first comic character. You have figures like the Shadow and Doc Savage and so forth that, that actually predate Superman. Nevertheless, Superman really becomes the first very popular superhero figure uh, in comics. He was created in 1933 by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two uh, young guys coming out of Cleveland. Jerry Siegel in particular was influenced by science fiction. He was a, a science fiction pulp novelist. They sold the character of Superman to National Comics, which later became DC Comics, in 1938 for the whopping sum of $130. Uh, and those who know the history know that this would lead to later court battles and, and things like that that would happen throughout the lives of, 
of Siegel and Schuster, unfortunately. Uh, nevertheless, they created an amazing character who very quickly made the leap uh, from the comic book pages to the comic strips in the newspapers to radio, eventually to television in the 50s, and uh, the movies and so on and so forth. Now, if you ever read any of those old, original Superman comics, what you discover pretty quickly is that Siegel and Schuster's Superman was not exactly like the Superman that we remember um, and, and that we often think of. Originally, Superman was more of an outlaw than he was a Boy Scout. And, frankly, he was kind of a bully. I mean, you read some of those very early uh, shots, and he's just... He's beating up guys for fun. Uh, he's uh, kind of laughing at, at criminals and at the law. You know, he'll he'll just bust into um, uh, to the the police captain's office or the governor's office in the middle of the night and drop criminals on on practically on his bed sheets uh, and uh, you know that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, the character began to change and develop and soften over the years. Um, about ten years after he's created, uh, Schuster and, and Siegel move away from the comic or are, are escorted off of it, depending on whose version of the story you, you want to read. Uh, but one of the, the creators that takes over is actually Bill Finger, uh, who some people may know of as one of the creators of Batman. He's usually not credited with that. Uh, most people just credit Bob Kane, but in fact, it was Bill Finger who did a lot of the work creating Batman. Um, Bill Finger helps to deepen the Superman mythos. He, cre he creates a lot of the backstory on Krypton. Uh, he creates the characters of Jor-El and Lara, Superman's real parents. He deepens the, the storyline about the Kents, his adopted parents. And uh, Bill Finger does something else that is pretty remarkable. He creates kryptonite uh, so that there would be some way of actually weakening this guy. Otherwise, you'd have no way of doing it. So Bill Finger does some of that work. But then as, as the 1950s roll on, that's when Superman really becomes wholesome. That's when he becomes kind of the moral crusader. And, and that sort of fits with the time period, um, that he's no longer, no longer so much an outlaw as he is somebody who is fighting for, as they, as they began to say on the radio show, truth, justice, and the American way. And I think that's still in people's minds today when, when we think about Superman. I will say that my love for Superman began with the Christopher Reeve Superman films. Uh, for me, that was just, you know, the first one comes out in 78, the other ones come out in the early 80s. I, I watched them on, on VHS as a kid. Um, Brandon, I don't know if you know what a VHS is, but uh, this is how people used to watch movies <laughs> at home. Um, I think I've seen this in a museum, actually. Yes, that's, right. that's probably in the Smithsonian. Um, but uh, the Superman films were just amazing to me as a kid. Christopher Reeve, when I think of Superman, I picture Christopher Reeve as Superman. They, they used The tagline for the first film was, you will believe that a man can fly. And I did. You know, it was, it was so 
um, so real to me. Um, and I loved those films, especially Superman 2, where he goes through this period where he gives up his powers so that he can be with Lois Lane. And uh, everything that sort of comes out of that. Um, and so I mention this because we want to talk a little bit about what makes a great Superman story. There are, there are actually a lot of different ways of doing a Superman story. I think people probably think that Superman is, is just cut from one cloth, but he's gone through a tremendous number of, of evolutions and changes over the years. But I would say the best Superman stories that I've experienced, either reading in comics or in you know, cartoons, movies, other mediums, tend to, tend to have one of two elements to them, or both. Uh, first, they tend to accentuate the fact that Superman is an outsider who wants to be inside, right? This is Superman's great dilemma. He thinks of himself as a farm boy from Kansas because that's how he was raised. But he's not. He's a, he's a guy from Krypton who can, you know, bench press a Mack truck. And that kind of feeling of wanting to be inside but being unable to be inside of the society he's with really is, is a plague to him. And that, that is actually a seed that's in the character right from the beginning. I mean, Siegel and Schuster are writing as, as Jews in the 1930s and 1940s, coming from immigrant families, families that had to leave Europe um, to, to try to escape some of what was happening to Jews there. And they lived this, right? They wanted to be on the inside of the society they lived in, couldn't figure out how to do it, and so they, they create this character who has the same issues, and this character who, by the way, is a Superman on the inside, even though people don't recognize it on the outside, right? So you have Clark Kent, who's a geeky guy, wearing the glasses, uh, you know, doesn't get any respect from anybody, especially from women, and yet what people don't realize is this is a guy who can stop bullets with his skin, this is a guy who can jump over buildings if he wants to, uh, they, they don't recognize him for, for who he really is. So I think the outsider who wants to be on the inside uh, is a, a big thing I look for in a Superman story. And then the other thing is uh, a great Superman story will have Superman figuring out his moral compass. Mm -hmm. A great Superman story is going to explore the theme of how does a guy who can literally do anything he wants find a moral center? And a lot of comic book heroes have this quest to find their moral center. I mean, Batman does, um, you know, Wonder Woman does, all of these characters do to a certain extent. But for Superman, it's a different kind of question because of the amount of power that he has. Because there's almost no one who could really rein him in. Um, he is uniquely positioned to shape things if he wants to. Uh, and so what is he going to do with that? Who does he turn to for advice on how to handle it? What does he make of all this power he's got? That's... That's the sort of thing that I think is at the heart of the story. I, I mean, I think I would second many of the things that you said. 
you know, it, it's interesting to, to talk about the sort of original forgotten outlaw Superman because that seems so at odds with, you know, what has become known as Superman. It seems like Superman could do anything. He's almost unlimited in his power, which throughout the decades has become sort of problematic for telling a story because where does this guy's limitations come? But yet, any sort of normal person would be completely sort of corrupted by this amazing godlike power. And what what was it that, that we talked about the, the book, um, Irredeemable? Right. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Um, I mean, that sort of explores this idea. But thank goodness that Superman seems to be this almost morally impervious individual, too. It's always joked that Superman is the big blue Boy Scout. Because he is. He's sort of the most conscientious, all-American, you know, perfect son that you know is imaginable i mean you have this uh, you know godlike superman thank god he's on the side of truth justice in the american way mm-hmm. <laughs> um they coined the term he's a superhero he's super heroic and he's always there to save the day uh, i think that that's an essential part of superman's character but but also and also the fact that you know he never seems to use this power for his own advantage. I mean he he masquerades as a schmuck. You know Clark Kent could have anything that he wants. You know he could have the woman that he loves. You know but he uh, he, he he has just like uh, you know his integrity. Um, so I mean you know I think those are essential parts of of, of Superman's character. I think that Superman stories are at their best when they are a bit lighthearted. I mean, Batman is the dark Avenger. You know, this dark and grittiness is is part of his character. Superman, you know, I associate with sort of fun. Superman needs to be in a world where, like, far-fetched things happen to make his character believable. I mean, if even to make the fact that he has a secret identity believable, because, come on, if I take my glasses off, you're going to say, hey, it's Father Matt, right? I mean, so he needs to live in this kind of far-fetched world, um, and it needs to be done with, um, appropriately enough for Superman, if you've seen the original TV show, a smile and a wink. I, I think when when you try to make this character more, um, I don't know, dark and, and believable, it, it, it starts to feel silly. Because, I mean, he's got a big red cape and big red boots. He wears his underwear on the outside. I mean, you know, he there's a, there's a level of absurdity to the figure of Superman that I think needs to be celebrated. You know, I like when Superman stories have a dog with a red cape. You know, like that needs to happen, in Superman. From for my, in my personal opinion, Crypto the Super Dog. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there, there is. Um, you mentioned with with the the whole thing with Clark Kent and his just taking his glasses off to be Superman. There's actually an issue 
uh, somewhere in the early 60s of uh, a series called Lois Lane, Superman's Girlfriend, in which Superman yells at both Lois Lane and Lana Lang that he refuses to marry either one of them because they're both too stupid to realize that when he has his glasses on, he's Clark Kent. <laughs> right. So, this is something that you want in, in, in a potential mate. You want her to be able to recognize you if you have your glasses on or if you take them off. That's right. I mean, um, right. she should know you enough. So uh, my early familiarity with the character uh, comes largely through my Uncle Bernie. He was, a, he, he, and continues to be a great Superman fan. And he always talked about this story where Superman's face was, was put on a stamp. And um, for some reason, um, and who would print a stamp this way, but, but the two zeros went over his eyes. And Superman had to fly all around the world and collect all these stamps because these zeros made it look like he was wearing glasses. And any fool would be able to see that he was really Clark Kent. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. You, you mentioned with uh, Mark Wade's Irredeemable playing with that, that theme of what happens if Superman, you know, snaps. Um, there have been other things that have played with that. I don't know if you're familiar with Injustice. Injustice is uh, actually a, a, a video game. Um, that's in its, I think, third or fourth incarnation now. I have it. It's a great game. It's got a great story to it. But they've been, for the last couple years, doing comics of the game. And the central conceit in the game is that the Joker somehow tricked Superman into doing something that resulted in the deaths of millions of people, including Lois Lane and his unborn child and that pushes Superman right over the edge and he just loses it and he basically becomes an evil despot of the world and um, mm. the only one left to resist is Batman who then goes into an alternate universe to find the Justice League there and bring those guys into his world to fight Superman including of course Superman himself <laughs> Um, so that's one place where that. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, so that's one place where that theme has has come up. Another one, thinking back to the movies, if you think back to Superman three, um, with Richard Pryor, uh, you may recall the fantastically ridiculous scene in which Superman, somehow a ghost version of himself, comes out of his own body, and he fights himself. Um, and this is precipitated by yes. Superman having kind of lost it for a while, and he's like drinking in a bar, and he's got a five o'clock shadow and all that kind of stuff. Um, Brandon, uh, I wonder if you want to jump in here. If, um, Absolutely. If you have uh, any thoughts on what makes a good Superman story. Well, Father Father Matt, um, when you know he he gave his opinion on what makes a good. Superman story, you made a lot of good points, and I, I guess this is why I tend not to gravitate towards Superman as a character in general, um, which which is that, you know, it's hard to come up um, with 
uh, a plot for such a, a powerful figure. Um, you know, and, and so you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, they needed to throw kryptonite in there. They needed to add that to the story because it just became, um, you know, so absurd, this character that couldn't be ranked in any, uh, under any circumstances. I think that, um, for me, the, the silly stuff isn't really what I gravitate. I like this sort of complex character who ultimately fights for good, but, you know, he, he, there's um, a mixture of very human tendencies and, and things like that. There is some um, depth and darkness to the character. With regard to what I, I think makes a good Superman story for me, um, would be maybe the, the following three scenarios. One is one you already said, which is the, the struggle with a moral compass, um, right? I, you know, being so powerful um, and, and really uh, not having anyone to, to turn to for, for advice and um, sort of being having this isolated secret and um, struggling with what it means um, to, to, to exist with, with such power. So the, the moral compass thing, um, I, I agree with. I would also like to add the very ancient narrative of the, the strong figure versus the sort of trickster, the witty character, right? The, the Samson and the Delilah. Um, you have the strong man mm-hmm. Samson and the tricky Delilah. And while he's sleeping, she cuts off his hair and he loses his power. And, you know, uh, the tragic hero. That, that you know, I, I like the, the tragic hero. Or even uh, Thor and Loki, right? Thor, the, the, the powerful uh, thunder god and his brother, the trickster, Loki. And, um, you know, there, there is something about that because it is a, a very ancient narrative. The, the strong man or the, the strong character um, versus the trickster, um, the, the intelligent. And so when you mentioned the, um, the uh, what was it, the issue where Superman um, was tricked by the Joker, right? Well, Joker and that... And Injustice, that narrative, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Joker played the trickster in that narrative. And, you know, so that, that would be, for me, um, a good uh, Superman story. The final one um, sort of scenario is when his power does get in the way, right? So he has all this power, and, and it ends up being more of a person, a blessing. Again, that tragic hero, um, showing how it's a burden, and he can't really do something that he really wants to do or be who he really wants to be, um, you know, because he, he has this power. I mean, you know, things like, um, I, I have trouble drinking water because I, I break the glass every time I drink it. You know, these sort of things where, um, <laughs> you know, the, just the consistent problems of I can't function um, on a day-to-day basis because of this blessing and curse of power that I have. Yeah, Brendan mentioned the the trickster, you know, element. And, of course, um, we can't talk about Superman without mentioning his foil, which is Lex Luthor. Now, Lex Luthor could never kind of go toe-to-toe with Superman in, in, in physical prowess, but he has, uh, throughout... The, the decades uh, dreamed of ingenious ways to trick and deceive Superman or, or come up with, uh, you know, brilliant plots to destroy Superman. Uh, so he's sort of the intellect that, that goes up against Superman's brawn. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of the classic um, uh, struggle between the jock and the, the brain. <laughs> Um, Lex Luthor and, and Superman. Most of Superman's villains have had to 
kind of find ways of compensating for the fact that they're never going to be able to stand up to Superman physically. And so his villains are kind of these trickster-type characters. Yeah. As a question, because I don't read a lot of Superman. He, again, I, I, he's not a character I, I tend to gravitate towards. Um, so I don't know if this has already been done. If they haven't, they should do it. But uh, it's sort of forbidden fruit. Um, so sort of an alternate series where Lois Lane sort of becomes um, maybe not pure evil, but you know, sort of an, an evil-esque character. Um, so you have this boy <laughs> scout over here. Um, a, a Lois Lane or some other um, uh, sort of female counterpart that is a love interest that he is drawn to, that he may have deep feelings for and care about, or um, might just be straight uh, lust, you know, but uh, this this character yeah, yeah. Is, 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 again, so like the Samson and Delilah story, that would be a, a nice play on the, um, the, the brute versus trickster um, narrative. Sort of the well, there. Superman has been around so long that no matter what uh, what plot line you come up with, they've done it before. I mean, there's thousands of Superman stories. I mean, and so every conceivable thing that could have happened to Lois Lane has happened at some point. You know, Lois Lane has an evil twin sister. Lois Lane uh, becomes yeah. a, a superhero. Lois Lane becomes a supervillain. You know. They, they, it, I'm sure if we poured through the canon of, of, of Superman stories, we would find one that matched that oh. criteria. Oh. Yeah. Lois Lane is a fantastic character. Um, right from the beginning, she is, uh, she doesn't take any gruff from anybody. And uh, I, I think she's been <laughs> a really interesting character over the years. Now, she's like many female characters in comics, she's been something of an etch-a-sketch uh, where every new writer who comes in shakes the character up and pours in something new. Um, but I would say uh, the sense of a character who is always searching for the truth, uh, the sense of a character who is, is stronger than her own powers would let on. You know, she never seems to be flustered by the fact that she's in a world where strange things happen. Uh, she runs straight into it anyway. Um, I think she's been a remarkable character through the ages because of those couple of constants. Um, but let, let's talk for a couple of minutes about this whole idea of Superman as, as a Christ figure, which mm -hmm. is something that has come up again and again uh, in, in various media that have surrounded Superman. Uh, it was a big theme that, that came out, I guess, 10 years or so ago now when they did the, the Superman Returns film. And it's probably played to its most outrageous conclusion in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Uh, although, if the, if the previews are any indication, it will be ratcheted up to an even more absurd level in uh, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> but, uh, but nevertheless, there is this idea that uh, Superman is kind of a Christ figure, and it gets played on in a lot of different ways. And I think that you can certainly make a case that almost any hero... Uh, can be a Christ figure or is a Christ figure. So I'm not going to deny that you could 
make a case for Superman as a Christ figure. But I would be curious to hear from you guys if you think that there is an opposite case to be made, that he is not a Christ figure. Are there ways in which he's obviously not a Christ figure? And if so, uh, what better example can we think of? Brandon has already mentioned Samson, uh, and that was the, the one I wrote down. I think he, he makes sense as, as a, a Samson character. I mean, Samson uh, also uh, had, uh, had problems with women. Uh, <laughs> Samson. And he has a secret weakness. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. He, has, he has a secret weakness. And not only that, but I would say one of the key ways in which Superman is not a Christ figure is... Uh, that the, the, the Christ figure shows us, well, the actual Christ, uh, shows us salvation through weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus empties himself of his power and takes on weakness for the sake of, for the, sake of the world. Mm-hmm. Superman has always seemed to be a different sort of story, um, not that they haven't played with that, idea of weakness from time to time, but it seems like Superman is more the idea of salvation through strength, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when, when things seem bleakest, mm-hmm. he finds yet one more ounce of strength to get the job done. He kind of saves the world through punching things. And that, to me, is more like Samson. So, okay, although Superman is, it has this tremendous power, he chooses to live an ordinary life as an ordinary Joe, you know, uh, as Clark Kent. Um, and, and when you think of the sort of uh, humility that it takes to stoop to that level, that's sort of a, a, a Christ-like image connected with Superman. I mean, I think of Philippians 2, you know, he emptied him, himself and, and, and took the form of a, a slave. But but you're right. I mean, his, his power doesn't come so much through sacrifice, you know, um, as it does through um, using his amazing power to just change, to, you know, to save the day. It's the opposite of, of what Jesus does, right? Because, yes, you're right that Superman chooses weakness in the sense of he chooses to be Clark Kent, and he chooses to, to kind of restrain himself in that way. So there is that choice. And yet it seems like most of the time, the way this plays out in in the comics or in in movies or in other places, is that that choice turns out to be the wrong choice, right? And in the end, he has to live up to the fact that he actually has this power. Um, So coming back to Superman 2, he gives up his power, becomes a normal man so he can be with Lois, and then General Zod shows up and takes over the world. And the only way he's able to defeat him in the end is to get his power back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, the Im- implicit message in a lot of these Superman stories is you don't want to be weak, right? Weakness is a bad idea. <laughs> and even in, the, even in the conception, in the Siegel-Schuster conception of the character, you know, he's Clark Kent, but really he's Superman, right? These people oh, absolutely. Don't, they don't realize how powerful he is um, and but one of these days they're going to see it because he's going to let it go and hopefully it'll you know be be for the sake of the world um, 
but woe is you if you are a gangster or somebody he's fighting, because then he's going to take your gun and laugh as he twists it around your neck. Uh, <laughs> so, with, and it's interesting, uh, Father Matt, because before you, you mentioned um, how Superman disguises himself as Clark Kent becoming weak, um, I was thinking more along the lines, okay, he's a normal being um, back on, on his home planet, and uh, so he's from another world, right? He's from this, this other place. And he uh-huh. comes down to Earth, and in coming down, he becomes powerful. And so I, I saw an inverse relationship right. in that way. But you're right in that. Oh, that's an interesting point. Right. Uh, but you're right in that, you know, at, you know once he becomes Superman, he, he does sort of um, bring himself down and, and, and become weak. And so that, you know... It, I guess it, it depends on what your starting point is or, or, or where you're, you're looking at it from. But something else, and I mean, you brought up how it's different. But another thing that I, I think hasn't been said yet about how um, Superman becoming Clark, uh, Clark Kent is different is that he becomes Clark Kent to disguise who he really is, which is Superman. Whereas Jesus lowers himself to make known who he really is, to make known... Um, so he's not trying to hide that he's God. He's he's trying to make known um, the Father, uh, and so I, I think uh, even even the um, the reason for why they sort of empty themselves out is is different. Um, one is trying to hide his true identity. The other one is trying to make it known. Yeah, you're right. And his weakness, Jesus's weakness, is a real weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, his humanity is a real humanity. Superman's is different um, in that Superman is is kind of taking that on. But, you know, like the message of, of, of the gospel is, if we want to think of, of course, Jesus is a lot more than just an example. But if we want to think of Jesus as an example, what is the example he set? What does he say to do? Take up your cross and follow me. Um Whereas, what is it that we would do to become more like Superman? Find your inner strength, um, become more moral and socially conscious, um, which, these are not bad things, but it, it seems like it's, it's something of a different order than what, um, you know, what Jesus is doing. It's, it's a different kind of story. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure how to do Superman in a way that you could even tell that kind of a story. Mm. There's one story that comes to my mind. It's the Peace on Earth story. Um, this was, it was sort of like a, um, a Christmas special by Paul Denny and Alex Ross. Have you read this one? No. Oh, it, it, it's one of my all-time favorite Superman stories. It's this story where Superman looks at the overwhelming need of the world and, you know, says, you know, I have the power. I can do something to end world hunger. And so he makes his proposal to Congress and the United Nations in his attempt to sort of end world hunger, to use his power for this purpose. He fails miserably because... What he does is he ends up coming against the wickedness uh, of the human heart and, and sort of the, the, the brokenness of the world condition. And he finds that all the power that he 
amazing as it is, is not really enough to change this. He can't fix the world, even with his like almost unlimited superhuman power. That this is still not enough. I, isn't that a great story to tell for Christmas? Because it's uh, what was really needed was for, for 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 Christ to come and live as one of us and to uh, redeem our human nature. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I, I'll have to check that out. But you're you're right because the idea of Superman as a savior is somebody who comes in and deflects the bullets for us which to a certain extent is also what Jesus does so there is a Christ figure nature to that but the difference is that what Jesus does is not just to stand in front of the bullets for us what he does is to become one of us and in so doing the power that he has uh, is not simply a protective power it's a transformative power, so that as Christ does what he does, all of us are renewed and reformed in the process. And that's something that Superman, he probably would want to do it. He simply can't. And he's only one man, you know? As powerful as he is, he can't be everywhere at once. He could sort of be there to sort of save the day, but he can't, he can't fix everything that's broken. Right. Um, uh, another another great story um, was was uh, of Superman that that kind of explores this idea of Superman as a savior figure and the limitations of that um, was this story, another story about Kurt Busiek, Um and it was uh, I forget the, the the issue number but it basically it, it, it's Superman kind of reflecting upon like is my being there to always save the day actually detrimental to people? You know, is, is it giving them a false sense of security? And, and it's, it's sort of a flashback to the early days of his career as Superman in Metropolis. And um, there is this, he saves this woman, this old African-American woman who's sort of uh, a, like, kind of like a lay church leader um, in her neighborhood, trying to clean up the neighborhood and make it better. And uh, he saves her from a mugging. And, and she says, oh, what happened was I prayed that the Lord would send an angel. And then out of the blue, here comes Superman. You know, he's sent from God to answer my prayers. And back home and she prays about it and she says, you know, thank you, Lord, for sending me this protector, this angel. And, you know, it was because I had this faith that when I prayed, Superman will show up. So she decides to put this to the test, and she's getting into all kinds of, like, she, she walks in, and there's a bank robbery in, in progress, and she walks up to them and says, turn from your evil, you know, and then she's, she prays to the Lord to send Superman, and, of course, Superman shows up and saves the day. And she keeps doing this, and then she's convinced that Superman's this angelic figure that she can summon with her prayers. What ends up happening is she uh, confronts this gang, and, and she prays for Superman to come. But he's off in Antarctica trying to save the world from an alien invasion or something like that, and she gets shot. And, and, and Superman feels so guilty because he says, you know, like, I couldn't be there 
to save her. And, and he and he comes to her and he says, you know, like I'm not an angel, and she uh, she realizes this, but but she says what this what what he was able to do was sort of in, in, inspire her with with his example, and that's that's a, that's about all he could do. Her death rallies the neighborhood together, ends up to be uh, her kind of taking the bullet. And that that really saves the day uh, more than Superman uh, swooping in to save the day with with his power. Well, I guess she never read the part in the scripture about "Do not test the Lord your God; do not put him to the test." She must have missed that bit. Um, right, she must have. She well, she she ends up saying, "You know, I was proud to do this." You know, and she's like, "I started to, you know, to to think that you know it was me and my faith that that." that called Superman down from heaven. And she's like, the Lord needed to teach me a lesson. <laughs> you know? well, although um, it's, it's interesting but, in the way that you describe it, that her death ends up having a kind of, um, a, a kind of redemptive aspect to it for the rest of her neighborhood. And so maybe there is in, and I haven't read this story, so I'm just going off of your description, but maybe in a ironic sort of way, she ends up being the Christ figure in that story. Um, in that, in her, she thinks that she needs the strength of, of Superman, but in reality, uh, she needs the weakness of her savior, um, because it's through, through yeah. weakness that, uh, that there is uh, redemption. But maybe I'm reading too much into it. You know, I, I think that might be there. I, I also just thinking about Superman as Samson again, I, I wonder if, um, there couldn't have been some way for Superman to lose his powers in the 90s if they had cut his mullet. <laughs> yes, well, of course he comes back from the dead. I mean, there, there you go, there, there's the other, uh, well, the other Christ-like uh, Christ image, his, his glorious resurrection. They've all come back from the dead, you know? Every, every, I can't... You, you'd have to spend more time finding characters who haven't died and been resurrected than ones who, who have. So, Well, um, this has been a good discussion. I'm sure there is, as always, more that can be said about it. If you have some thoughts, please share them with us. Go to our, our page at godandcomics.com and you can send us an email from there. Or catch up with us on Twitter, twitter.com slash godandcomics. Or on Facebook, facebook.com slash godandcomics. And we would love to hear from you and love to have to continue the conversation there. But for now, we're going to make ourselves a super segue into our final segment, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? All right, Father Matt, take it away. All right, my, my first one is for, is for you, Father Jonathan. Um, red kryptonite or green kryptonite? <laughs> um, boy, you know, so the difficulty with this is context. Is this for me or is this for if I'm trying to defeat Superman with it, right? Um, neither one of them would have an effect on me since I'm not from Krypton. So I guess green because I like the color green better. Um, but uh, if I was if I was trying to take out Superman, I'd probably go with with the red first and then the green. 
little Christmas combo action. Well, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you put yourself in the place of Lex Luthor. So <laughs> it just shows the depravity of your heart. I, I um, have a criminal genius. Okay, so the <laughs> the second question is for um, is for Brendan. Uh, working with Father Jonathan or getting root canal? <laughs> Man, uh, the root canal for sure. <laughs> no, no. Working... You know, we That's can just... make this happen if you'd like to not be working for me anymore <laughs> and get a root canal instead. No. This, this is a genius. No, I, I love working with Father Jonathan. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've never actually had a root canal, but I've heard they, they hurt, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is it better to be loved or feared? Better to be loved, I think, than feared, yeah. Pistachios or peanuts? Ooh, I would go with peanuts, especially if they're... Still in the shell, you crack them open, you sort of cracker barrel, you know, um, go to the, the ball game, peanuts. Absolutely. Can I ask for a point of clarification on that one? Are we talking about peanuts as in the edible food, or are we talking about peanuts as in Charles Schultz's um, long-running uh, Charlie Brown comic strip? Oh, that, that's a valid Because that makes well, a difference. Well, that... That would make a very odd comparison with pistachios. So I, I, I'll, I'll leave you to draw that conclusion. Um, <laughs> it, would, it would be peanuts either way, so I don't think it There you go. It doesn't create a problem. What about, how about peanuts or peanuts? <laughs> ah. There is the question. Or, or, or what about walnuts or beetle paley? <laughs> I was first. First, I was gonna but say I, I, I like I like to uh, read my peanuts and eat them too. Uh, so you know, really, yeah. Peanuts and eat them too. <laughs> but uh, okay, um, Beetle Bailey or a '57 Chevy? No, nothing. Sorry, call back. Go ahead. St. Uh, <laughs> John's Gospel or the Synoptics? That's tough because, you know, I don't think you can have St. John's Gospel if you don't have the synoptics, right? St. John assumes that people know the stories in the synoptics, um, mm -hmm. which allows him to tell different kinds of stories and sort of look at it from a different angle. Having said that, if, you're, if it just comes down to what's my favorite gospel, what would be the one if, if I could only read one of them, I'm on a desert island for the rest of my life and I could only read one of them, I would probably go with John. Um, you know, I know the story that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, but John is just so rich and so deep uh, in, in the way that, that, it, that the poetry of who Jesus is and what he's done for us flows out of it that... Uh, I, I, I would I would have to go with that, and and let me add I would take that also over either Peanuts or Beetle Bailey, uh, or a '57 Chevy for that matter. So. <laughs> well, I, I I had no idea how to answer that question myself, but uh, but that was well said. All right, well that was uh, it, huh? All right, well that's all I got. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Okay, you, you survived this or that. Uh, I have survived. Brandon, thank you for uh, pinch hitting and jumping in at the last minute to be on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure and an honor. Just to let uh, listeners know, uh, we're going to take a few weeks off here uh, going into August, so you won't hear another episode until sometime in September. Uh, we hope that you have a, a wonderful rest of your summer, and we're looking forward to being back with you in September with some brand new shows, uh, lots of new topics, lots of new interesting discussions. Um, hopefully Father Kyle will bring back lots of wolves that he's killed for us. Uh, so that, that should be exciting as well. Um, so we'll, we'll look forward to that. And feel free to get in touch with us in the meantime. So that brings our show to a close for today. You can listen to the show again on GodandComics.com. Uh, there's also extras, show extras, that we always put up there, things from the episode where you can learn a little bit more. So feel free to explore that and find out about it. Gotten Comics is subscribable through iTunes, so please feel free to do that. You can download us on a regular basis. And uh, while you're on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind, give the show a rating and a review. It's, it helps other people be able to discover the show. Our theme music is done by Father Paul Wheatley, and hopefully you are banging your head to that right now. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Nitchikin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And I'm Brandon Munson. For Father Kyle Tomlin, we'll see you later. <laughs>